Grace and peace to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who comforts us. In the name of Jesus, amen. So Jesus preached. That is how Jesus called people to himself. He spoke, and people believed. This is how God makes people into disciples. It is the word of Jesus. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And St. Paul says, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Not only is this preaching the very words of salvation and eternal life, but it's also accompanied by the signs and wonders that Jesus does. The Father and the Spirit attest to Jesus as the Christ when he is baptized by John. Jesus heals the sick. He casts out demons. And so it's no wonder that when Jesus comes to preach, at this point in time, during our Gospel reading, many people flock to him. So many were pressing on Jesus along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. People came to hear him, and he was there to preach. And preaching is how Jesus continually builds his church. This is how the gospel comes into our hearing, so that people may have faith and be saved. This is how people are brought to faith, the work of our salvation. It's complete. It's something that Jesus has done and fully accomplished. Jesus justifies the world completely when he dies on the cross. He dies for you and for me and for everyone who's ever lived. As we remember in the scriptures, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It is the world. All creation is covered in the blood of Jesus. All sins are absolved when Jesus dies. The real work of our salvation is complete. Yet just because the work of salvation is done, it doesn't mean that God is done with his work. Jesus continues to preach. He preached after his resurrection, and he preaches to the world today. He preaches to the people he died to save. He sends his Holy Spirit to work faith in the hearts of those who would hear the word so that they might know that Jesus died for them and believe it. The gospel of forgiveness is received by faith. And so Jesus sends out preachers. And in that preaching, he gathers his church. And so today, in our text, we see what Jesus is doing. He's instituting preachers to gather people. He's calling fishermen to become fishers of men. He calls St. Peter to be a preacher. As Jesus calls Peter to be a disciple, he shows them exactly what it means to follow after Jesus. And this is important to know. If we were to survey a Christian congregation and ask them what the ministry of their church is, we might get a lot of answers. We, we might have people here say, oh, well, obviously it's our school. Or you might get somebody say, in another church, you know, they'll talk about how they have an online ministry, their website and uh, Facebook and all that other stuff, and they'll say, well, this is our online ministry. Another person may talk about a quilting group 
in their congregation and call it the quilting ministry. Another person might talk about the comfort dogs that they host in their congregation and say, we have a comfort dog ministry. And another may speak of their coffee and donuts during Bible study and call it their coffee ministry. Very often, people find things they like to do, decide to do them at church, and they call it their ministry. It's kind of funny. There does, of course, become something big in church when people kind of seek to define ministry in their own way as the church in our corner of the globe has been now in decline at least numerically for the past few decades there's an original class of experts in all sorts of ministries it can be an entire industry with consultants and trainers and conferences and books and programs to be sold to congregations so that they can buck the trends and enlarge their struggling churches. They use marketing and tell you to find ways to meet people's felt needs. And in that way, you can grow your church. You have to find some need in the community, build a program around it, and then market it to the people. And that's how you'll grow. And so it can be anything from entertainment, to child care, to self-help, to music, to coffee, or whatever else people think that they want, the idea is that the work of the church is to meet the needs of the community around them, and it's important that the congregation decide what those needs are and find ways to meet them. It's about marketing, marketing and salesmanship and, and giving people what they want. But guess what is the one thing these, these church growth gurus will never tell you to do. Emphasize doctrine. Sing historic hymns. Follow the common liturgy. Preach the sins of the culture. Preach the sins of the community. Preach the sins of the congregation. Preach the actual gospel to actual sinners who feel actual burdens. You see, man always wants to redefine the things of God so that they achieve the desires of man. And what does man want? Well, to feed his flesh, to feel important, successful, and powerful, to obtain pleasure, to obtain wealth. But what does God want? Well, the scriptures tell us, they says, This is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And how does God achieve what he desires? Through the ministry of the Christian church, where the word of God is preached. For someone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, God's word must be proclaimed. And so Christ institutes the office of holy ministry. He calls men to be preachers of his gospel. He sends them out into the world so that people may hear the gospel of Christ and be saved. And he gets to define what that is. He gets to define how that is done. And he gets to tell us who does it. Because it's his ministry. This is what we see with Peter in the boat. Jesus is showing Peter how he wants his ministry conducted. He's showing Peter who has authority and who will bring about success and growth in his church, who will catch the fish. Peter was a fisherman. It was his job to catch fish. He was the expert in it. He had seen Jesus before. We see in John chapter 1 that Andrew, Peter's brother, 
had seen John the Baptist point at Jesus and say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Immediately, Andrew and another disciple start to follow after Jesus. They spend some time with him. They hear him speak, and Andrew runs and grabs Peter and says, We have found him. We have found the Messiah. And Jesus now, when he is brought, when Peter is brought to Jesus, Jesus says to Peter, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Peter knew from John and Andrew that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now, Jesus shows up again. Jesus is preaching, and he's hard-pressed by a crowd of people that want to hear him preach. And seeing Peter washing his nets on the shore, he hops into Peter's boat and has Peter let out from the shore where he preaches the word. And when the sermon is over, he tells Peter, Hey, put out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. This command from Jesus must have sounded absurd to Peter. Peter had been fishing all night. He had caught nothing. Peter was the expert fisherman. He knew a little something about his work. He knew what he was doing. Now Jesus, this guy, hops into his boat and tells him to go fish some more. And anyone who knows anything about fishing will tell you when the fish are on, they are on, and when they aren't, they aren't. Yet Jesus tells Peter, go out and fish. And so Peter answers, Master, we toiled all night, we took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. There's the answer. At your word, I will. Here Peter, amid his protest, gets something right. Here Peter shows us exactly what a disciple of Jesus is to do. At your word, I will. He's to do what Jesus commands him to do. He's to trust that when Jesus tells him to do something, it's for a purpose. It did not matter if it did not make sense to Peter. What mattered was that Jesus said it. Jesus commanded it to be done, so there was a reason and a purpose for it to be done. While Peter was the expert fisherman, Jesus is the Lord. We often have the temptation to hold our personal experiences in life over the word. Peter had that temptation. He hadn't caught any fish all night. He didn't think he'd catch any more fish. So we take what we experience to be good or what to be apparent or obvious, and we just go with it. Rather than just simply trusting in what God's word says, we do what we think we know. And so when the Bible says men are to be the head of their households, they're the lead to teach their families, they're to instruct their children in the faith, we say, well, I know better than that. I'm not that smart. I'm not good with kids. My, somebody else can take the lead. We can co-op that work somewhere else. I have a different experience. Or, where scripture talks about sexual ethics, uh, homosexual activity and fornication. He calls these things sinful. He says that marriage is to be blessed and enjoyed by all in his Christian church. And then we say, well, I know some great and nice people who are in committed homosexual relationships. You know, I hear love is love, so it can't be that bad. And I know that I need to test if we are compatible for marriage. So we probably should live with each other before we get married. I have a different experience. 
And the same thing could be said about a great number of things, uh, you know, divorce, money, entertainment, church attendance, and, and everything else that we can think of under the sun, where the scriptures say something direct and clear, and our human inclination is to do the opposite. We say our experience teaches us to do something different, and we like it that way. When scripture is clear in teaching on any subject that contradicts the world's view of things, there's always that temptation to lean more on experience and less on faith. Yet when confronted with this struggle, Peter says, at your word, I will. You see, our experience means very little when it's stacked up next to God's word. And as supreme authority as the inspired word of our Lord and Creator, it also has power. The word of God is effective. It is true. It means what it means, and it does what it says. And that same word that is effective, true, and active saves. So that we will know that word, Jesus sends out preachers. He does this with Peter. Peter has just caught himself a massive haul of fish. And what's so interesting about that? He leaves it all behind. Peter was a rich man at that point. The fish that could have been cleaned and salted and brought to the marketplaces and sold for tons of money. But Peter's not jumping up and down. Rather, Peter is on his knees. He's crying out, depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. He was a sinner, and he realized he was standing before his God and his Savior. He deserved death and condemnation for his doubting and surely many other sins, but here he stands in the presence of the living God made flesh, a sinner who deserves judgment and condemnation. And he kneels before his Lord, saying, Have mercy. But Jesus has compassion for Peter. He calms Peter down, and he says, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Do not fear. He absolves Peter of his sin. And then he calls Peter to be a preacher. He calls Peter to proclaim the same absolution that he just received to the entire world. And this is a wonder beyond all wonders that God calls sinful men to preach his word. This is something that baffles the mind and the heart. Yet this is how God brings people to faith. That word given by Christ is to be preached and taught. And, and God chooses weak, sinful, fallen men to do it. Peter, who doubted Jesus, Peter, who would deny Jesus at his crucifixion, is the one that Jesus calls to be an apostle and a minister who will preach his saving word by the grace of God. Jesus also calls men to the ministry today. The work of preaching continues as sinful men still are sent out to fill that holy office. And we call those men pastors. They are to preach the fullness of God's word. They are to proclaim God's law and God's gospel. As the law exposes us as sinners and calls us to repentance, the law brings us to fear God's wrath for those sins that we have done that utterly offend our Creator and Lord. As the law crushes even the preacher... 
as he sees himself as the one who has trespassed. But then, through the word, he stills quaking hearts by speaking the pure and wonderful gospel to all who will hear it, including himself. Pastors proclaim the forgiveness of sins that is won in Christ. He speaks of God's wonderful work through the death and resurrection of Jesus. He places the cross and the empty tomb before the eyes of the people, speaking it into their ears and through the ears into their hearts. Jesus chooses sinners to fill this office, fallible men who are to preach this wonderful news. Jesus institutes a preaching office. We call it the office of the holy ministry. And that office is carried out in the preaching, the teaching, the distribution of God's word. It's carried out by faithfully delivering law and gospel as Christ is preached. He called Peter to preach. He calls your pastor to preach. He gives the sacraments to the church. And he calls your pastor to administer those sacraments according to his commands. This is how Jesus builds the church. It's not through gimmicks. It's not through marketing techniques. It's not by folding to the ways of the world. It is through the word of God and God's holy sacraments being set before poor sinners who need to hear them. When Jesus calls Peter to be a fisher of men, he's not talking about baiting a hook and luring a fish. He's talking about a net. A net that gathers the fish together. God's church is the fish that are gathered in the net of his word. The net just needs to be cast. The word needs to be proclaimed. You see, there's a temptation. The view pastors is the one who baits the hook, who tempts the people in, who sells the church to the people. We view them as the ones who are going to invent some new way and cool, fun way of being this whole church thing. And to find a new message or to do a new method that get people into the pews. The pastors are not called to be innovators. They're called to be preachers. They're called to cast the net of the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. That gospel does not need bait. It does not need chum to stink up the waters. It simply needs to be proclaimed. Not a new message. Not a new story. Not a different gospel. Just the word of God as it stands. The pastor and the church have no right and no calling to decide what parts of the scriptures are relevant or not relevant, what needs to be heard or not heard. They're simply to preach the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. When a pastor decides he doesn't like a certain text or a doctrine, when a pastor decides, oh, I don't know if I really believe that, I'm not going to say that today, or that might turn people off, he's no longer acting as a minister. He's making himself a new lord of the church. Ministers are to be little servants. The Latin root for the word minister is minus, which means less than. You see, no one in the church is equal to Jesus. We are servants of Christ who are called to do his will. And when a pastor or a congregation decide to avoid certain doctrines taught in the scriptures, it is like they are taking the net that is meant to catch men, and they're snipping little holes in it. The fish escape. As one sinner doesn't have conviction, and one person who has sorrow loses a bit of comfort, and the little fish swim through the holes in the net. No, we are only to give 
what is given to us. As St. Paul tells Timothy, all the scope of his work, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, reprove, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. This is the word that we are called to publicly confess as God's church on earth. It is the gospel that we live in. We are called to confess it as we go about our lives. We must be ready to give a defense for the joy that we have within us. To prepare for that, what do we do? We go to church. We study our catechism. We devote ourselves to the word. Pastors preach it, but we are all called to believe it and confess it. Believing and confessing Christ is what marks us as Christians. We don't confess our pastor. We don't confess the cool program we have at church. We don't confess our cool building or the music that we have. We confess Christ. Pastors are to preach Christ. The church is to minister Christ to the world. Because we are sinners after all. Any innovation of our own, any creation of our own, it will not stand the test of time. It will fall as we will fall as sinners. And this is what sinners do. Despite that sin, though, we confess Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of our sins and the blessing of eternal life. And as we live in our own sin, as we live in our own failure, we go to the pastor who will confess his sins along with you. He will speak. He will speak of Christ and his holy absolution. He will deliver the holy gospel to you. He will comfort you when you need it. This is why Jesus institutes the preaching office. He wants you to hear what he has to say. He wants you to know him and to be comforted by him. He wants you to share the riches of the kingdom. He wants you to eat and drink his body and his blood. He wants to touch your lips and purify you in the Lord's Supper. He wants you to be washed and clean and joined to him eternally in your baptism. He wants you to be saved. And so he sends his word and his sacraments into the world so that his gospel might be received by faith. This is how Christ offers himself to the world. Jesus gives himself to us. He does so in the simplest of ways. We, we tend to complicate things. We make them too hard. Jesus doesn't want his forgiveness to be complicated. He makes it easy on us. He sends people to speak the word to us directly. He sends broken, infallible men to deliver his whole, imperfect, infallible word. And in doing so, he makes himself known to you. When pastors preach and administer the sacraments, they're not handing you something that belongs to them. They're giving you Jesus. If they give you anything other than Jesus, they're not really pastors. They're handing you, if they're handing you some better, more in, uh, um, interesting, fun, creative thing, they're falling short. No, they're handing you something better than anything they could devise in and of themselves. They're giving you Jesus. Nothing new. Just Christ. Jesus gives himself for you. And so he sends a fool in a pulpit a crust of bread, some cheap wine, some water for washing, and with those, the promises of Christ are added. 
And these seemingly foolish, simple things are the greatest treasures that any human being can behold because that is where Jesus is present for you. These things deliver the gospel of forgiveness to you. Rejoice in them because they put Christ into our ears, into our hearts, onto our foreheads, into our mouths. These bless us with faith. They gather us into the net of God's holy church. Praise God that he sends Peter to be a fisher of men. Praise God that he raises up pastors to preach the word so that we might know him. And praise God that he gathers us together in this place to hear of all the wonders that he has done. Because we are saved by Christ through faith, and that faith comes by hearing. Let us pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for sending ministers of your gospel to preach and to teach your word to us. Allow all those men who are called into the office of holy ministry to be bold and steadfast in their duty and cause congregations to hold their pastors to their duty of preaching the pure word of Christ. Never allow us to become so proud as to think we have something better than your word to offer to the world. And by the preaching of Christ crucified, cause people to believe and to be joined in your kingdom and to be caught in your nets. Help your church to catch men. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds and the true faith to life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen. We rise.